0: Well, today is the last week until we get to the the big turn in Romans, chapter twelve through sixteen. And so, chapters nine through eleven, in a lot of ways, are a a a climax of the story that Paul has been telling. Okay, if you track um, if you track his line of thought all the way from chapter one. Through chapter 11, and even beyond that, but, but especially through chapter 11, you'll find that the uh, chapters 5 through 8 are more of a digression, um, more of a, uh, an aside than usually chapters 9 through 11 are considered, oh yeah, all that Jewish and Israel stuff. <laughs> God's got to, you know, he needs to, Paul needs to answer those questions. But really, if you understand what, what Paul has been doing in this letter— Chapters 9 through 11, and the way that they end, I mean, Paul is just at the highest of the highs. And he goes, oh my goodness, how inscrutable God's ways are. How incredible is all this stuff? That's where he ends up. And so he ends up there at the end of chapter 11. We need to know why Paul got to that place. I mean, there is a lot of, especially in chapters 9 through 11, there's a lot of emotion coming through from Paul his heart is laid bare at this point and it just ends with pure worship but he's also in anguish and agony and, he, uh, and we'll look at some of those things but he, this is what he's really throwing himself into This, uh, what, what he's talking about in these chapters so we, we should approach it from that perspective this is not sort of like oh that's just uh, for the Jews this is a big part of what Paul was trying to say and, and it applies to all of us Um, So let me just recap real quick um, what Romans has been about. Um, Chapters 1 through 4 talk about how God has been faithful to his covenant with Abraham. And that the coming of the Messiah um, is the culmination of what he was always doing. He's had one plan the whole time. And Messiah is the the fulfillment of those promises. Um, he promised Adam something, he promised Abraham something, he promised Moses something, he promised David something, and it was all building on the same thing, and it was all building toward the coming of his son, the Messiah. And I want to I point out one thing here in the beginning. I don't think I talked about this in chapter 1. Um, let's see. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the, from the dead, Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord. Son, he's Jesus, Son, Savior, or uh, he's Jesus, the Messiah, our Master, and he's the Son of God. So all you need to know about Paul's view of Jesus is right there. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And he is our Lord. Um, And so his gospel, Paul's gospel is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God. He's all of those things. This man, this man Jesus, this human being named Jesus is the point of fulfillment of all of God's promises. Okay? That's his gospel. And so everything, everything else that he, that he says, he's talking around that. Okay? But that undergirds everything. So chapters 1 through 4 spell that out. Chapters 5 through 8 talk about how now it is that we are set free from our old humanity. Our, our being in Adam. Set free from the power of sin and the dominion of death. Both of those things. Uh, Adam sinned and through sin brought death into the world. So here we are, under sin and under death. And Jesus Christ came to set us free from sin and death. Um, And so now, ultimately, we see in chapter 6, 7, 8, that what God was doing all along was orchestrating it so that all of sin could come to a head in this person, Jesus, who represented the nation of Israel. So that in this person, Jesus, he could condemn sin in the flesh. Everything that needed to be done to deal with sin, it all came and was heaped on Jesus and he was crucified so that God could forgive us our sins. So he freed us from the power of the law. He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of death. Amen. <laughs> I thought you were saying something that I forgot. Like, oh yeah, and he also did this. Um, so that he could send his Holy Spirit. And his life inside of us now is, is the only thing that is necessary. Okay? And so everything is now possible. Why? Because someday God's going to be able to do it? No, because he already did it. Someone was praying earlier. Yeah, he went before. He did all of this stuff. As a man. With every weakness that we have. Okay? And that's what, one of the things that chapter 5 talks about. And it's really amazing. How Adam started as a perfect human being. But then fell. Jesus didn't start as a perfect human being. Jesus started as a in the likeness of sinful flesh, fallen humanity, and pulled us up from there, and then took us beyond. And that's that's an amazing thing, too. That it wasn't just that Adam came, and he he failed, and then Jesus came, and he had all the same benefits that Adam had, and he didn't fail. No, he went to where Adam had fallen, too, and came back up, and lifted all of of, uh, the human race with him. so that's what chapter 5 talks about. Uh, Okay, so then we get to chapter 9. And all along, so we've got to be careful. One of the good things about Romans is that Paul voices a lot of the questions that he's answering. Right, these questions. So what will you say then? Shall, Shall we sin so that grace may increase? By no means. And he keeps inserting these questions and then commenting on the answers to those questions. So we need to pay attention to the questions that he asks. Because he's giving answers, but he's also letting us know the questions that he's answering. And that's important because a lot of times we take his answers and apply them to other questions that we make up. Okay, But he, here, right here, he is asking the questions. So let's let Paul ask the questions. And what the questions are that he's asking here are... And sometimes it's an explicit question, like, well, then you may say, why this? And sometimes it's an implicit question, like here in, in verse 6. Uh, but it is not as though the word of God had failed. So obviously the implicit question is there, There is. so then did God fail? Do you see how that works? How, how a, a question that he's answering, he can kind of allude to it, but not really uh, directly quote it. Okay, so he starts out. I am speaking the truth in Christ and I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Something is, is I mean, this is very stark language. I swear to God, he says, <laughs> by the Holy Spirit, I am not lying. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is not just a show. This is the real thing. I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So what are we talking about here? Ethnic Israel, national Israel, okay? All along, the question has been, so is he scrapping his plan? Did the plan fail? Is Israel well, what, what what is to become of Israel? What about all this history and he 's going to answer they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption and he lists all these things that are the benefits of the covenant of the people of God okay the adoption, the glory that is bearing God's image and and reflecting His glory. The covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, that would be like the meeting with Him in the temple um, through sacrifice, you know, having a place of of meeting and coming to serve uh, in His temple. And the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. And don't miss the uh, unmistakable high view of Christ that he takes there. Who is God over all? The Messiah, who is God over all? No questions asked. Jesus is God, blessed forever, amen. But it is not as though the word of God had failed. So all of that, in the nation of Israel, didn't fail. And then he proceeds, and this is a great, this is a great exercise in, in, in attentive reading. Okay? Because we can't, again, we have to zoom, constantly zoom out. If you notice, and if you go and kind of circle every Old Testament character, that he mentions in these next verses here, you'll find that he's basically recapping the progression of Old Testament history. And a lot of times, um, in both the Bible and in just other Jewish literature, they will recap the history in order to make a point. So one example of this would be Stephen's sermon in Acts 7. You remember he gives a recap but it's very, I mean, he's, he's very, he doesn't give a comprehensive history. He's telling, he's recapping the story, pulling out the things that he's trying to say about it. So there it's, you always reject the messengers of God in Acts 7. Remember that? He's recapping it, and that's what he comes to. Look, all through history, we'll start with Abraham, we'll go to Isaac, you always reject the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That's his point in recapping the history. Well, here, Paul is doing the same thing. Um, also, you can look at, like, Psalm 105 and one hundred seven, and 106. They are a recapping of Israel's history with particular points to make a point. So I don't know if there's a, a term for this. There probably is a technical term for this. Something like narrative rhetoric or something. I don't know what it is. Um, but this is what he's doing, he's doing here. He's saying, look, let's rewind. Let's replay this thing. You'll see what I'm talking about all the way through. Okay? So he says, For not all who descended from Israel belonged to Israel. Right back at Abraham, what do we see? Not all of his physical children were his children, according to the promise. Right? He had other sons than Isaac. What made Isaac special? He was the son of the promise. And he was the one that God chose and said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. But further than that, he's the one who miraculously came to be. (laughs) He's the one that couldn't have possibly happened according to the flesh. So if you rewind and you say, and Paul is just giving this a quick run through, but we got to stop and say, all right, and let me just take a couple minutes and talk about just this one. We won't do this with all of them. But just this one. When Paul does a quick touchdown in Old Testament history, we've got to stop. We've got to say, what's he talking about there? Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. What has just happened in the Abraham story when that line comes? Who, who looked it up? What's, that, what's the context of that? Someone just shout it out. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. What's, that, what's, what's the issue there? Jerem knows. What, what, what's... Yeah, he had, he had had Ishmael at this point. Why did he have Ishmael? With good intentions. God had said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a family. I'm going to give you a son. And through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham goes, okay, great. Well, I guess I got to provide a son. This is such a perfect example to show Israel under the law versus Israel under the promise. Right? God had promised, you're going to do it. And Abraham said, Well, I'm going to do it. So I guess it means I'm taking my concubine and having this child, Ishmael. And, but God says, No, I'm not naming your offspring through Ishmael the child of your effort. I'm naming your offspring through Isaac, the one I gave you. This is so huge, right? This unlocks so much in the book of Romans when he's talking about how God works, how God works to fulfill his promise in people. Did Abraham fail in trying to do... No, he was trying to do what God had promised him. He didn't know the way God was planning on fulfilling his promise, And that is the whole, that sums it up right there. Just that one line. He has summed up the whole Israelite problem. Which is how is God gonna be faithful to his covenant? And is God, is what God is doing for the Gentiles, is that fair? Is that righteous? After all that he promised. So he, so he says. No, through, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. So what does this mean with Jews and Gentiles? Guys, it's never been about physical descendants. It's always been about this family of God that's united only by the fact that they are The children of the promise. Okay? Four. This is what the promise said about this time next year. I will return and Sarah shall have a son. No, it's going to come through Sarah. That's my promise. And not only so, but when Rebecca had conceived children by one man. This is the next generation. It's slightly different, but it's the same thing. God chooses what he's going to do, and then he remains totally committed to that. And so the story of Jacob and Esau is the story of them coming to grips with, with Jacob coming to grips with, I I, I, I am, the older is going to serve me. Now God had to break him of his pride in that fact. And he, he was a conniver. And I don't even want to get into the fact that he stole his birthright. But it's because Rebecca had kind of planted this seed. So I don't know. Divine sovereignty, human agency. I don't know. The point is, God had said before any of that had happened, the older shall serve the younger. Sarah, you're going to have a son. The older shall serve the younger. And I'm going to make that come to pass. So, was it something that Isaac did that made me choose him? No. Was it something that Jacob did that made me say, the older is going to serve the younger? No. Before any of that, I made a decision, I made a choice, and I stuck with my choice. That's what he's talking about here. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? No. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy... And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy. So the point here is not God uh, before you're even born God knows what's going to happen to you. Every little thing. This is often what this portion of scripture is interpreted as being. It's talking about this nation of Israel. How in the world is God doing this, this totally new thing? Remember, Paul was facing charges of blasphemy, of discarding the law. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying that all of the law has come to its fulfillment. So there, is there injustice on God's part? No. So he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he will." Listen, it's up to God on who to have mercy and who to harden. Now, hardening means uh, basically letting someone, and he's kind of described this in chapter 1, hardening means letting someone, uh, giving someone over to their passions. Right. It doesn't mean that God all of a sudden out of nowhere comes and causes this righteous person to then turn against him. (laughs) That's not what it means. It means that how someone is now, that's how they remain. Okay? And so he, he uses Pharaoh as an example. Well, Pharaoh hated God. Well, God was, okay, fine. I'm, then I'm going to use you. What, I'm going to use your hatred of me to free my people. Since you hate me, I'm going to work with that. So it's the exact opposite, right? It's God being able to work with free will. And accomplishing his purposes anyway. Okay. You will say to me then, why does then he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? So, is this, is this just on God's part? Absolutely. Right? So then why, why, why do we still have responsibility? Shut your mouth. <laughs> That's what he says well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? And so the, the, the question is, and again, and again, Jews have experienced a long history where, I mean, of knowing what God wants to do to, to make us a blessing so that we can bless the whole earth and not seeing anything close to that happening. I mean, we're in exile. Okay? Paul is saying, well exile? That's part of the covenant too. This is all part of the plan. Um, so he then he quotes, so he's still been in going through uh, history. So he, the patriarchs, Moses and Pharaoh, and then he, he throws in some quotes from the prophets, Hosea and Isaiah, and these are these are prophecies about the day when Messiah comes and the covenant is renewed and the Gentiles come in. So he says, all along, God has been trying to, with his people, get it to the place where all the nations of the earth can be blessed. The problem is not that God doesn't know what he's doing or that he has had to scrap a plan and, and start over. The problem is that you don't know the ways in which God is able to bring his Purpose to pass. You think that it has to happen, right just think back to Abraham and Ishmael. You think that that was how it had to happen. That's not how it happened with Abraham. That's not how it's happening now. Right? The real Isaac, the son of the promise, has come. And you guys are still wondering why God has forsaken your son Ishmael, the fruit of your works. It's like, get with the, get with the program. God's not doing a new thing. This is what he's been doing all along. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. It's all faith. It's always been faith. It's always been the kind of relationship that a man named Abraham had with a God who called him that was marked by hearing, trusting, and obeying. That's faith. That's always been what God wanted to be the identifying marker of his family. It was never anything ethnic. It was never anything that the, that, that the law could sort of separate you from all those filthy Gentiles. It was always, who is going to hear me, trust me, and do what I'm saying? Why? Because I, I know what the heck I'm doing. I have ways of accomplishing purposes in the earth that you have no idea about, but I need obedient human agents to partner with me. I will save the world if one man has faith. I can save the world. If one man will get fully on board with me, I can save the whole world. That's what he says. It's by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They did not understand what God was doing. But as if it were based on works. As if this law was something to use to to boast, Right, as he says in, in the opening chapter, boasting in the law to separate yourself from others—they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. What's the stumbling stone? It's 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 Jesus. It's it's the law. Also, I am laying a stone. I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling. This is the foundation, the rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he's saying, listen, even in the Old Testament, God was saying, There's, I'm, I'm doing something, and not everyone's going to be able to swallow it. Not everyone's going to be able to believe it, to have faith, to trust me. But to those who will, they will not be put to shame. Though they are mocked, though they are ridiculed, though they are persecuted, they won't be put to shame if they believe me. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. So it's by faith. It's by faith for Gentiles and it's by faith for Jews. So you, has God forsaken his people? No. How is he going to save them? The same way that he saves everyone else. The same way that uh, he's bringing the Gentiles in. God has always wanted his people to walk in faith with him. It's still the same. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God. And that's important. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Not having any clue how capable God was of being faithful to his covenant. You could say that when Abraham brought forth Ishmael, he was ignorant of the righteousness of God. You don't know what I'm capable of. You've considered within a closed system the possibilities. You're ignorant of the righteousness of God. Seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Man. Submitting to God's righteousness. Shutting our mouth and saying, Well, I know where I am, and I know where you want to get me, and I don't have a clue (laughs) how I'm going to get from here to there. But I trust you, and I believe you, and I've received you by faith. And I believe that in Jesus, all of that is, is possible. All of the life that you've called me to live, all of the glorifying you, all of the walking in your purposes, bearing your image... I believe that you can bring that out of my life. That is faith. That is faith. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, end, that's a tricky word, but it's, it's, it's the word telos. It's the goal. Okay? When you put in your GPS... A start and a telos. And when you get to the telos, you've reached your goal. Okay? So it's not like, well, did that route fail then? Because you No, no, no. The route succeeded. You reached your destination. <laughs> right? Christ was the destination of the law. It was all aimed at him. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then he talks, uh, he, he, he says, he gets into Deuteronomy 30, which is, he quotes from Deuteronomy 30, which is the part of Deuteronomy where, where Moses is recapping the law, and he says, listen, you're going to fail. You, you're pretty much, much going to fail. <laughs> it's pretty much guaranteed. Uh, but when you fail, you're going to go into exile. And this is how exile is part of the covenant. You're going to go into exile. And when you're in exile, God's going to come and he's going to, he's going to come himself. And he's going, to, he's going to give you a new covenant. There's going to be a, a, a renewal of the covenant. And it's going to be when your hearts are circumcised. And you're not going to say, where is the law? How can we go? It's going to be near you. Right? So this is really a prophecy of the coming of Messiah. But when Paul is saying, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, he's quoting from what Moses says. He says, in that day, when the covenant has been renewed, after all this stuff, after you fail, and after you're in exile, and then you seek me with all your heart, and you'll find me, and I'm going to do a new thing. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? The new covenant, the renewal of the covenant, has taken place. The promised land. We're on the, we're on the verge of the promised land. This is, this is Deuteronomy. We're going into the land. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get in there, and your heart's going to go astray, and all you're going to fail. And you're not going to be able to do You're going to be in chapter 7 of Romans. You're going to want to do the right thing, but you're not going to be able to do it. But guess what? I am going to come, and then I'm going to... And, and in the prophets, spells this out even more clearly. Like in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where, where God talks about, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to put a new heart. And the law will be written on your heart. This is what he's talking about. This covenant renewal... Uh, this covenant this hope of the, of the renewal of the covenant there is no distinction between Jew and Greek the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who will call on him everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved um, so he says how will they call on him in whom they have not believed uh how will they believe? Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, down here where he says in, in chapter 18, he starts quoting more scripture. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Don't, then they, don't they understand that all through scripture this has been prophesied? Their voice has gone out to the, all of the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? They've heard, they haven't understood. Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who didn't seek me. Israel, look at what's happening. God is being found by those that didn't really seek him. Is this unjust? No. This is what was supposed to happen. Of Israel, he says, all day long... I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And we'll come back to that at the end. So chapter 11 is about, so then what of Israel? What are we doing? Has God rejected his people? No. Case in point, me, Paul. (laughs) I'm a Jew, and I'm saved. I myself am an Israelite. According to the flesh, right? Descendant of Abraham, all these ethnic things, these markers, this me. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Uh, Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Lord, they have killed your prophets. And God says, no, I have have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So he said, just like when Elijah said, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one. And God says, no. There are other people who trust me. There is a remnant, okay? But again, it's not a remnant that has somehow succeeded in keeping the law. It's a remnant that has faith in God. And that's why they're the remnant. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, meaning faithful Israel. And we we need to be clear that... I mean, Hebrews makes it clear that there's a long line of people who did have faith and who are part of true Israel. And I would say, you get no better example of true Israel than Mary. Talk about the embodiment of what Israel is supposed to be. Total trust brings Messiah into the world. Right? I mean, that's, that's what Israel was, was meant to be. Walk with me, be filled with me, impossibly blessed... And watch Messiah come and save the world. Mary, right there. The elect obtained it, but the rest, no. The rest were hardened. Okay? Their hearts were already drawn away. They were already worshiping other gods, and God said, All right, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done with you. Continue to worship your other gods. Okay. So, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Now, here's where it gets a little tricky, what Paul's trying to say. But what he's saying is, no, listen, all of this failure that has happened, well, that is the shape of redemption. For you to be cut off so that others could come in, (laughs) sounds a lot like Jesus. So what you see as failure, God says, That's another day at the office. That's how I save. That's how I've always wanted to save. I've always wanted Israel to be the place that, not the, like I've said a couple times, not the pet nation, but the pattern. Not the special elite nation, but the one who who would... Pour out my blessings so that, the, so that the world could be blessed. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. And here's how he, he says, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous. <laughs> so he said... I'm telling you, Gentiles, you have all the blessings. All of the rights and privileges of the elect, they're yours in Jesus. You hear what I'm saying, Jews? All of what you think separates you, it's all going to the Gentiles. He's trying to make them jealous. Look, they're all enjoying what life was always supposed to be like. Don't you want a, don't you want a piece of that <laughs> I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them he knows that they're not all coming back but if he can get some looking over across the, across the way and say wow the Gentiles are really uh, walking as the people of God in the earth in Jesus I think I might go and, and, and have faith in Jesus If their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, which sounds like Jesus, right? I mean, he's describing them, you were rejected for the salvation of the world. So their problem was, you don't understand how I work. You don't understand what it means to be my chosen one. It means you get to work with me. Well, what's my favorite thing to do? Pour out my life for people who don't deserve it love people. And then basically he says, now Gentiles, I know I'm magnifying my ministry, but don't get a big head. That would be the exact same problem that has cut off all these people from the promises. So, God's creating this tree. He has broken off some of the branches that don't belong, and he's grafted others in. Well, he can break those off, too, if they, if they go sour. So don't get, a, don't get a big head. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, he has said part of them will be saved. The ones who by faith receive. So there's not, we've got to be careful. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Here's what he's saying. Israel has been redefined a little bit. And all of Israel, Jews and Gentiles, are saved in one way. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. So in this way, all Israel will be saved. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He's the Jewish Messiah. And will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That's another way of saying Israel. And this will be my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. So what, what, what makes all Israel, all Israel? All Israel. The people that God, they're the blessed people of God. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So, you guys, there is a way. It's the same way that everyone else is is being saved now. Come back. Come back. Understand that... God has not been unjust to you. He has not cast you out. You have, you have, it's through that promise and through your being cast out that Messiah has come into the world. Now just believe in Jesus. Come and have faith in him and realize that the whole time this is what God wanted to do. Okay. And this is why it's important to read, I think, others of Paul's letters because pretty quickly. Um, Pretty quickly in the book of Ephesians, this makes a lot of sense, right? You don't get past, like, the first few verses without saying, oh, yeah, it was before the foundation of the world that God decided that it was going to be through his son that he adopted. It's going to be through the son, and it was always going to be through the son, and that was even before he created the world. It's not as clear as that in Romans, but that's still true, and that's still what Paul has believed, and he's he's, uh, preaching from that place. All right. So, um, verse 20, let me just read this for us. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So, do not become proud of fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. All right. Now, verse 33 is the doxology of, of chapters 1 through 11. So what, what about all this? Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, I want to read a well-known story out of Luke 15. And tell me if you don't think that you hear Romans 9 through 11 in this story. Luke 15, starting verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of those citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed the pods of the pigs that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And is found. Does this sound like Romans 9 through 11? The Jews are looking at the party that Paul is having with the Gentiles. Jesus has received them back. The Father has received them back in Jesus. They become fully part of the family now given the best of what the family has to offer. They squandered their right. They squandered their inheritance. They went to a far country. They, they became the scum of the earth. But when they came back, and, they, realized, and they, they came to full repentance, the father said, yes, all the family stuff, you can have it again. the older brother, in the father's heart, must have broken for that older brother. You're always with me. And this is what Paul is saying to his brethren, Israel according to the flesh. You've always, this has always been what dad wanted. Why are you, why are you stubborn? This party, I'm going to keep this party going until you understand that you have not understood our father all along, what he wanted to do, what his plan was, what your inheritance was, was meant for. This trumps all of that. Um, so I think that's a good, way, a good way to frame this section. You know, um, the Father always wanted to save everyone, save the world, uh, to unite all things together in Christ, as Ephesians says. Um, the Jews totally missed what it meant to be the elect of God. And, uh, but God in His grace and in His mercy, even though He has held out His hands all day to a stubborn people, still would love for them to be a part of this, the, the family of, of Messiah. Um, and in fact, He says, listen, you've, you don't even realize it, but you've been working with me all along. You were cut off so that they could come in you've rejoiced now. This is what we've been trying to accomplish through all the generations. Um, All right, so this is the last week that we're really talking about these grand and, and, as Paul would say, inscrutable ways of God. How in the world did he make all this happen? Uh, And So next week we're going to turn into uh, the practical application but i still I, I am still praying that that we would really uh, get to a deeper place of understanding and that God would lay these foundations in our hearts what his purpose really is, because you cannot go out and share the gospel um, in the way that it should be shared unless you really have this in your heart what 's god 's purpose I mean you could you could Hand stuff out. I mean, you could check off the list, but in order for the gospel to really be alive in your heart, you need to to spend a lot of time letting the Holy Spirit reframe your mind and, and teach you the ways of God, the purposes of God. And the best way to do this is to listen to what Paul's saying and remember the story, remember the Old Testament, and see what he's talking about all the way through. It was always there, it was a mystery. But it's been uncovered. It's been revealed. Um, And we'll talk about mystery a little more as we get into some more of Paul's letters. Uh, A mystery for Paul is always something that used to be veiled, has now been uncovered uh, in light of Jesus. So, all right. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that uh, we get to uh, be a part of your family. Lord, we do, as, uh, as Gentiles, according to the flesh, uh, we do stand in, in awe. We, we fear. Uh, and we understand that we have, not, we have no uh, position of privilege with you uh, over against uh, the natural branches. Uh, but, Lord, we do rejoice that all of the promises now uh, in Jesus also belong to us. And we thank you for that. And God, I pray that 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 would not turn into the same mistake as your people had. That that would not turn into uh, self-pleasing elitism or self-righteousness, God, or even striving. But Lord, the same miraculous way that, that you grafted us in, I pray that you would bring us to maturity, God, in that same way. That what you have begun by the Spirit, you would perfect by the Spirit. And God, give us faith. Give us true faith. Show us what that means. Uh, give us a heart to hear you, to obey you, and to watch your miraculous power uh, bring your glory from our lives. Uh, we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to, to help us to work with you, God. Help us to not be like the older brother. Uh, but help us to understand that you are always seeking uh, the lost uh, to be found. You're always waiting for them to come home, and I pray that, Lord, that you would, um, as we've received your mercy, Lord, that we would be so quick to want to share your mercy with others and, and, and declare uh, the good news and uh, that Jesus has come so that we could be a part of the family of God. Thank you that our sins have been forgiven in Jesus and that uh, our life is now uh, hid with Christ.